Good day, everybody. Happy Sunday. This is the initial launch of the Bitterness and Rage show, starting out as a podcast or something that you can pick up from some website somewhere. I'm hoping it leads to something even bigger, something even greater. My name is Rob, and I'm the host, for lack of a better word, of the Bitterness and Rage show. Let me just start by saying that today I'm doing the show by myself, which means it'll be less than creative, because, quite frankly, I'm not that smart. But I will try my best. I'm going to do a show semi-regularly that deals more in bigger issues, issues that transcend time. So I won't be doing any game previews. I won't be discussing, again, tonight's Mets-Pirates game or the trade of Ike Davis, for instance, from the Mets to the Pirates, because by the time you hear this, who knows, it might be next baseball season. Rather, I want to deal with issues that are bigger than that, issues that it won't matter if you hear it today, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, whenever. So what I need from you all out there, for the one to 100 people that may be listening, and I hope it's closer to the 100 than the one or two, is I set up a companion uh, Twitter account. It's at Bitter and Rage, at Bitter and Rage. Since the good people at Twitter wouldn't let me do the entirety of Bitterness and Rage, at Bitterness and Rage, too many, too many characters. So, at Bitter and Rage, at Bitter and Rage. I'll be pandering throughout the show for you to hit me up on Twitter with your questions, your comments, your hate mail, and then next time. I do this, and again, I hope to do it semi-regularly, maybe once a week, maybe on Sundays, maybe not. Happy Easter, by the way. Happy Easter Sunday. Uh, I will take your thoughts, concerns, hopes, dreams, criticisms, hate mail, threats, and incorporate them into the show. So if you have questions, you have something you want to hear my opinion on, or maybe you have an opinion that I can highlight, whatever it is, I'll be sure to throw it out there for us, and hopefully we can grow this little adventure that I've started on. So here's what's on the docket for today, and I will not be doing time and weather. Not that I can see much from my guest room here in the apartment that I live in, but who knows where you'll be listening to this. So what time it is, or the weather. I won't be doing traffic and weather together on the H, everybody. I won't be doing any of that, because you're probably not going to care, especially since you may not be driving when you're listening to this. So here's what's on the docket, on the menu for today. I want to talk about the death of Reuben Hurricane Carter, the pending future, hopefully there is a future, for Mike Woodson, coach of the New York Knicks. I want to do a little Tim Duncan talk, which will dovetail right into some thoughts about the NBA age limit. And then we're going to peel back the layers that are uh, San Francisco 49ers linebacker Alden Smith. And then I want to close things by talking about a Sorry for that long pregnant pause. I kind of lost myself there. You're also you're going to hear a lot of that, a lot of me breathing, a lot of... You hear that? That's not me sanding the floor. That's the shuffling of my index cards. Nervously shuffling my index cards. But I want to talk about a broadcaster that I think deserves a moment or two of our time. Okay, so we're going to groove to some music underneath me so it's not totally dry. In between songs, it might get a little dry. I apologize for that. So let's jump in, shall we? I want to start first with the death of Reuben Hurricane Carter, 76 years old. He's a former middleweight boxer of some renown. And most of you probably never heard of Reuben Hurricane Carter in the boxing sense, but you do know 
from the Bob Dylan song and the 1999 movie starring Denzel Washington, the Reuben Hurricane Carter story. Many of you are more familiar with this part of the story than the boxing part of the story. The man was convicted, wrongly it turned out, of the murder of three men in New Jersey in a restaurant. He spent the years 1966 to 1985 in jail, so he spent 19 years in prison. When he was released from prison by a federal judge who finally decided that enough was enough after almost 20 years and three decades in prison, part of his decision was based upon the notion that racism played a bigger role in the jailing of Hurricane Carter than the actual facts of the case. So what are we going to remember today as we acknowledge the passing of Reuben Hurricane Carter? Not a great boxer. The man could have been a contender, to cite a cliche, but he never was, never got the chance. And you could say that the arrest and the racism got in the way. But here's why I bring him up. Earlier this week, we celebrated the life and times of Jackie Robinson of the Los Angeles Dodgers, well, the Brooklyn Dodgers and the Los Angeles Dodgers. We celebrated the accomplishment of Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier in baseball, which is an incredibly important day, do not get me wrong. It is worth celebrating. It is one of the historic, monumental, pioneering moments in sports. But what Major League Baseball wants is to celebrate the accomplishment of breaking the color barrier while ignoring the darker side and the shameful side of sports. The, the racism that kept Robinson out of Major League Baseball was institutionalized, not just hard feelings. It wasn't just a bunch of racist owners who decided they only want white players playing their games. So baseball, in celebrating Jackie Robinson Day, and don't get me wrong, again, it's worth celebrating, and, and even part of this glossing over of what caused this day to even be necessary is somewhat important. But Major League Baseball would like you to follow and focus on the achievement and not the darkness. And again, I agree. I agree that we should be celebrating this breaking of the color barrier, this monumental achievement that Robinson accomplished. But let's not forget the world that he lived in. Let's not forget the world that he came from. Let us not forget the pervasive racism that existed even once he got on the field. And let us not forget what he had to put up with and put up with with class and with dignity. And this, folks, is the reason why we celebrate Hurricane Carter. This is why we remember Hurricane Carter. The man had no greatness in the ring. The man will never be a Hall of Famer. He will never be remembered for his accomplishments in his sport. But that doesn't mean we forget about him. That doesn't mean we just dust him off and take him out every once in a while and say, look, here's a boxer that was wronged. Here's a black man that was wronged. Rather, we should acknowledge his contribution and that negative contribution, that contribution that said, here's a man that was wrongfully imprisoned and the crime that he committed was having the wrong skin color. His crime was being on the wrong side of an all-white jury. So we remember Hurricane Carter and remember what he went through, not from the sports angle, but from the social angle. And we don't forget him because to forget what happened to Hurricane Carter is to forget the past, to forget the present, and to forget the future. Otherwise, there are no changes in life. So we remember Hurricane Carter, and we don't thank him for going to jail. We don't thank him for the struggles that he put up with. But we should remember him, and we should acknowledge him. 
I'm not saying have a national holiday or a day of remembrance. But as you think about the death of Hurricane Carter, it's not just the death of some nondescript boxer, but rather it's the death of somebody who also made a stand. Maybe not in the same glorious way that Jackie Robinson did, but he also made a stand, hoping to make the world a better place. And that's about as philosophical as I'd like to get today to start off the show. And I know what you're thinking, dude, what about the sports? What about the scores, the highlights? Who's going to win the Rangers-Flyers series? And if you want all of that, there's plenty of places you can go. Because by the time you listen to this, who knows if the Rangers will even be, still be a hockey team. So I want to talk about Mike Woodson for a moment. With much fanfare out of Gotham, speaking of New York, Philadelphia, with much fanfare, the New York Knicks or the NBA uh, landed their new president of basketball operations, the legendary Phil Jackson, probably the greatest living basketball coach of all time and arguably the greatest coach period of all time in the NBA and as the new president and this is what fans have been clamoring for fans of the Knicks and maybe even fans of the NBA in general to put his own stamp on things and the way that one puts a stamp on things when you take over an organization is to hire a new coach because the team has been underperforming they missed the playoffs this year we're not going to get into whether or not they've been hamstrung by the human black hole when it comes to basketball shooting, and that is Carmelo Anthony. We won't get into any of that. We're not going to make excuses for Mike Woodson, the current and hopefully future coach of the New York Knicks. But my question is, who are you going to get? Let's say you fire Mike Woodson. Who are you going to replace him with? Who else is out there? So I just want to be a, uh, a shill, a huckster, if you will, for Mike Woodson just for a second, and I can because this is my show. And this is something that, yes, I get bitter and rageful about, hence the name. Although it's not going to be a show about me just complaining about life. There may be once in a while some non-sports stuff thrown in there. But mostly this is about sports, not about me just complaining for 10, 15, 20 minutes, however long this happens to go. So let's, just, let's face it, folks. The best coach available out there who's right there in New York to coach the Knicks is too busy as president of the New York Knicks. You're not going to get Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson doesn't want to coach. His health won't let him coach. So who else are you going to get? George Carl, Stan Van Gundy, fine choices. Doesn't seem like they really are in the mood for coaching right now. But let's just say they're off the market. Let's say they're unavailable. Let's just think about Mike Woodson is done, shall we? Just Let's just think just for a second. His record in two-plus seasons with the Knicks is 109-79, and 79, a 58% winning percentage. And once you get past Carmelo Anthony and a on-again, off-again Amari Stoudemire, it's not quite a team you'd look at and go, yeah, 58% win percentage. I can see that. It's not a team that you'd expect to get that from. And as impressive as it is, that he's won 58% of his games while in New York. Let's look what he did in Atlanta. 53 wins for the Atlanta Hawks in 2009. 53 wins for the Hawks, a team that snuck into the playoffs this year with a sub-500 record. Hey, this is the first time since 1997 that the Hawks, or in 2009, was the first time since 1997 the Hawks won 50 or more games. And just to give you some more stats, because I'm sort of a numbersy nerd, the Hawks came about in 1949. That's 64 excuse me, 65 NBA seasons. In those 65 seasons, they only won 50 or more games 11 times. And most of those 
occurred, or a great majority of those occurred in the glory years of the 80s with Dominique Wilkins. So it's a pretty impressive accomplishment. So before you start throwing dirt on the grave of Mike Woodson, and yes, I'm talking to you, Coach Jackson, maybe, just maybe, you ought to think about, let him hang around a little while longer. Give him another chance. See what we can do with some draft picks. you got a lottery pick coming. So see what you can do before you kick him off to the curb. So let's stick with basketball. And the next, actually, two topics are going to be about basketball. The Spurs won their opening round game today against the Dallas Mavericks. And Tim Duncan is largely responsible for that. The now 37-year-old Tim Duncan. And I don't want to do one of these barroom arguments. Oh, hey, man, who's the greatest power forward ever to play in the NBA? Because, again, you can do that on your own without actually listening to me. But let's talk about Tim Duncan, the quiet superstar. Here's one thing that perhaps doesn't get discussed and perhaps nobody cares. But is he the quietest superstar ever? I mean, the guy makes no noise. He makes no noise negatively, never gets in trouble. He really doesn't make a lot of noise positively. Not a lot of movies, not a lot of commercials. The man is not a human highlight reel. He just goes out there and does his job every day, all day, every season. Finals MVPs, league MVPs, you name it. The man's won awards. Since 1999, the Spurs have won four championships, and the only constant, besides Coach Greg Popovich, and we can get into how great a coach he is on some other time, the only constant has been Tim Duncan. His greatest gift, his greatest contribution to the NBA is his silence, is his dignity, is his calm. The man plays the game the right way on and off the court. He goes out there, he scores points, he gets rebounds, he leads his team to victory, and then he disappears. Only to come back to the next game and do the same thing all over again. And you know what, folks? It's highly likely that we'll never see the likes of a Tim Duncan again. A guy that just came in, did his job every day, all day, and he's incredibly sound as a basketball player. Incredibly sound. Are we going to see another guy who spent four years in college, accomplished all he could accomplish in college, then walk into the NBA and rattle off multiple championships, all the while being fundamentally sound and not telling anybody about it? That's the best thing about it, folks. He's great, and he hasn't told anybody. He just plays and wins and succeeds. And is it a coincidence that he spent four years in college then came to the NBA and won a championship and no one questions his fundamentals and maybe makes the team around him just as fundamentally strong? I don't know. Perhaps it's a coincidence. Perhaps not. But it's certainly a factor. And I don't know how much longer Tim Duncan's going to play, and I'm not a Spurs fan per se. I mean, I'm not doing this show from San Antonio, so it's not uh, you know, a total homer job. But I hope he plays and plays and plays and I hope he plays well at the highest level for many more years to come because it might be a while if ever before we see him again or anyone like him so now let's talk about the NBA age limit just for a moment the uh, new commissioner of the NBA Adam Silver has said recently that one of his first priorities is to raise the age limit for people coming into the NBA so right now you all know about the one-and-done rule. It's one year in college, 19 years old, then you can come into the NBA. And let me just say, 
I am not suggesting for a second that everybody has to stay in college to come to the NBA. I know I just said what I said about Tim Duncan. And I'm not saying that in order to be successful in the NBA, you have to spend four years in college, three years in college, two years, even one year in college. There's plenty of players playing right now in the National Basketball Association, the NBA, who have one or less years in college and have done pretty well. And I'm not just talking about the guy down in Miami who shall go nameless on this very radio program. It can be done. It will be done. It will be done forever. There's nothing wrong with that. You are successful at something and can do it earlier than your peers. Great. Go ahead. Knock yourself out. But here's the problem. I, the problem is that not everybody who graduates from high school is ready for the NBA. Not everybody who declares for the NBA draft is ready for the NBA. There's only 64 players taken. And there's usually at least that many who say, I'm ready for the NBA now, right out of high school, after one year of college. So I'm not suggesting an age limit so much as a college requirement. There's a lot more opportunity to play in college than there is in the NBA. And once you declare for the NBA draft and you don't get drafted or you get drafted and your career flames out because you clearly weren't ready, you're done. What are you going to do? Your college eligibility is shot. Nobody wants you. And you haven't really been trained for anything. And I'm not talking about job training. I'm talking about maturity. I'm talking about being able to adapt to whatever situation you're in. I'm talking about the need to gain some life perspective. And I know I sound like a man who's a thousand years old talking about life perspective, but it's true. You're an 18 year old kid in the NBA. Maybe you can handle it, maybe you can't. But it's not just about physically exerting yourself on the basketball court. It's about spending money you never had. It's about listening to people who are whispering in your ear saying, hey, remember when I supported you on the way up? Well, now you can support me. But I got off on a tangent there. Let's go back to this college requirement. Look, folks, baseball has it correct. Baseball says if you decide you come out of high school, you get drafted, you can decide I'm either going to play or I'm going to go to college. And if you decide to go to college, you got to stay there for three years. If you decide to bail on college, you can walk right in and play baseball at the highest level. What's wrong with that? I mean, in the situation now, you declare for the draft, you don't get drafted, and the NBA kicks you to the curb. Maybe you catch on as a free agent, maybe not. But you've now said bye-bye to your professional career and your college career. So where's the fairness there? So why not do it like baseball does it? Why not say you have a choice? You can go right to the NBA, but if not, and you go to college or you play overseas, whatever the case may be, it's three years before you can come in. Get some experience under your belt, both life experience and professional basketball experience. In my humble opinion, which means just about nothing, that would make the NBA and the college games better. Maybe more entertaining. Maybe more sound. And perhaps, just perhaps, it would even make these players, make some of these rookies have an easier time adapting to the physical and the mental challenges of life for an NBA player on and off the basketball court. Now look, I am not ignorant to what's being said out there about the age limit. It's not fair. If you're ready to work, why can't you work? I've even heard the word unconstitutional thrown out there. Now, I've read the Constitution a couple times, and 
I don't recall it saying in there that if you're 18 with your chest puffed out, you can go play professional basketball, professional football, or do anything you want at 18. You can vote. You can be drafted. I don't know why we always compare the two. Yes, you can vote. Why delay citizenship until you're 21? Why say you can't go defend your country until you're 21? I get it. 18, that's a good age. You have to be 16 to drive. Let's let players play in the NBA at their 16. Age restrictions are out there for a reason, folks. But I'm not here to address age restrictions. When can you gamble? When can you drink? When can you smoke? When can you drive? It's just, I get the argument. If you're ready to work, why not let you work? There's a lot of yak and chatter about it. It's unfair. It's a criminal act, even. That's my personal favorite. To deny people the right to work. You're not denying people the right to work. The NBA is not doing this. You don't hear them saying about football. Football says you got to be three years beyond your graduating class in high school to play. Why isn't anybody complaining about that? Or the baseball rules or the hockey rules? When I graduate from high school, can I go be a lawyer? Can I take the bar exam and be a lawyer? Probably not. I need a law degree. Professions, here's the point, friends. Professions are allowed to put restrictions on who can enter their profession. If the NBA wants you to be 20 years old, 21 years old before you play basketball, that's their prerogative. Yes, they're denying you the right to work because you're not qualified yet. Guy coming out of elementary school can't go play in the NBA, no matter how mad his hook shot is or how money he is from the three-point line. It's not allowed. So why do we sit here arguing about this? And look, listen how dry the bed is. Ah, oh, there we go. There's some music behind me. Why do we argue about this? Why do we wring our hands and gnash our teeth over this? I don't understand it. You have to be a certain age to play in the NBA. You're not being denied a right to work. You're not being denied anything. Professions are allowed. And I'm sure the courts and maybe even shh, the Constitution would back me up on this. That a business is allowed to run the business the way it wants as long as you're not interfering with commerce and trade and unfairly hindering competition so let's put that to bed please let's stop talking about how unfair it is let's stop talking about how wrong it is to put limits on your profession otherwise I'm going to have my 10 and 12 year old sons uh, apply to be lawyers and doctors even though they haven't even finished middle school let alone high school, college or graduate school Okay, and yes, I'm well aware of the elephant in the room about the the population and the people involved and the ones that are negatively and adversely affected by saying you have to be 21 or 20 or even 19 or whatever the age limit Adam Silver wants to make. I'm aware of who's being negatively impacted by this. Okay, But as I said, it's not as though opportunities are being denied. It's not as though anything unfair is being done. The NBA is saying, you know what? We want to help the college game and the NBA game. And we want to help you. You're not going to believe this, I know, out there listening on your couch. But they want to help the players, too. They want to make their lives better. They don't want to see these kids that come out of high school and get drafted broke and on the streets because they were all potential and no talent. And then the NBA says, sorry, we got no more use for you, and shuts the door. Okay? So the age limit, let's stop talking about how unfair it is. Maybe think for a second... It's not just a way to make the college and NBA games more successful. It's not just a way to spend less money. Maybe, just maybe, just maybe, we're actually helping these kids. 
And now I'm going to get off my soapbox and talk about Alden Smith, the linebacker extraordinaire for the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, it has come to everyone's attention that the San Francisco 49ers may, on May the 3rd, which is the deadline for exercising this option, may not exercise the 2015 option on Alden Smith's contract, which would make him about 9 to $10 million richer. Now, let's just look, shall we? Let's just take a second and look at the stats. The on-field and off-the-field stats for one Alden Smith. 43 games, 42 sacks, one interception, five forced fumbles. Defensive player of the year in 2012. That's pretty impressive. Let's look at the off-the-field stats, shall we? Which are just as impressive, his off-the-field activities. Two arrests for DUI, three charges of illegal possession of an assault weapon, and the most recent indiscretion, the most recent all-pro act of stupidity. He was randomly stopped at LAX, Los Angeles International Airport, and he did what all of us would do when we're randomly stopped at the airport. He claimed to be in possession, I'm sorry, allegedly, gosh, that word is thrown around and used far too inappropriately, but he was allegedly, he allegedly said that he was in possession of a bomb. So is he a great player? Absolutely. Is he a stone-cold dope? Absolutely. If there was a Hall of Fame for dopes, he'd be one of the charter members. So the man made many mistakes. I'm not saying the man's a criminal, but the man has some bad judgment problems. And he's not the only one. His coach, Jim Harbaugh, is borderline psychotic. Great coach, but way aggressive all the time. And he actually flirted with joining another team when he was still employed by his current team. There's been some issue recently in Miami with his all-star all quarterback, Colin Kaepernick, but we're not here to discuss that. We're really not even here to discuss Alden Smith's troubles, but there's a bigger issue here. Okay, This is not a football decision. The issue of what to do with Alden Smith is not a football-playing decision. It's no-brainer. Exercise the option. Oh, the man's great. He's a great player. Okay? But the, the real issue, the bigger issue, is this not even addressing good or bad, what's happening with Alden Smith. I mean, this is an NFL, Roger Goodell, shield, the NFL shield, 49ers decision. It is not about options and contracts. It's about swift, decisive actions. Why wait until May the 3rd? How many strikes does this guy get before you do something? I'm not suggesting he be thrown out of the league. I'm not suggesting they release him. I'm not suggesting they trade him. But you can't say, well, we're going to wait until May the 3rd before we decide to exercise the option. That's going to be our punishment and let him walk away a free man. You're not going to do that. You're the 49ers. You're not going to do that. You're not going to let some other team pick him up for almost nothing. You're going to keep him. And everyone knows you're going to keep him. You're just saying we're going to wait till May the 3rd to give yourself more time to say to your fans, oh, we've decided to keep him because we want to help Alden Smith in-house and we think he's a valuable member of the San Francisco 49ers community. You're not going to do that. And again, I'm not suggesting that you not re-sign Alden Smith. Rather, I'm suggesting this. The NFL is becoming more and more of a joke in terms of discipline and rules enforcement and consistency. So if you're the San Francisco 49ers, go ahead and exercise the option. And don't even punish them. It's not, not really your job to do that. It's not your job to say, we're going to punish them. Don't worry, NFL, as a league... You don't have to address this, but they do. The NFL as a league has to address this issue, and not just with him. But they have to address 
the issue of consistency and punishment. So suspend him. Even if it's a token suspension, if you're Roger Goodell, you got to get out from behind the NFL shield and say, I don't know what's going on with this guy. He clearly needs help, and he does. He needs some kind of help, whether it's professional help or whatever other kind of help there is. But you can't just be silent on this. You can't just pretend like it doesn't happen. You can't say, well, he's one of our star players, so we're going to ignore this. Yes, we punished Ben Roethlisberger before. We did that already. So you can see that we as the league like to punish people. You can't do that, Raj. You can't just punish one superstar and the other ones walk. So you have to do something. So this is not about whether the 49ers should go ahead and re-up with Alden Smith. They should. They'd be foolish not to. After all, if he gets in more trouble, you can always release him later. But you got to keep him on your team. From a football standpoint, you got to keep him on your team. But again, this is not about what you do from a football standpoint. What does the league do to address these issues? The league can't stop people from being stupid. They can't. be great if they could, but they can't. The NFL has to figure out a way to address these issues and address them swiftly and address them consistently. And let's not forget, this was the, this was the league that canceled the show about the football players whose name escapes me. I'm sorry about that. I told you I was pretty stupid because it did not accurately reflect the NFL. Now that, if I had a laugh track, I'd be playing in the background. There's work to be done here, Raj. You just have to want to do it. And finally, I'd like to spend just a second. Okay, more than a second. I'd like to spend a minute on Craig Sager, NBA analyst, sports broadcaster and reporter since 1972. In fact, when Hank Aaron rounded third after he hit his historic 715th home run, Craig Sager was the one running from third base to home plate to interview him. And yes, Hank Aaron is the real home run king, not Barry Bonds. The man was known for his outlandish outfits. He was known for his entertaining interviews. Listen to me silently talking about how he's dead. He still is known for his outlandish in interviews, his outfits, excuse me, his outlandish outfits, and maybe some outlandish interviews, but he's known for his insightful interviews and outlandish outfits. Nice guy, loved in the industry. He was recently diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia and is curable, fortunately, but he's going to miss some time. He's going to miss about three to four weeks. He's going to start undergoing treatment, and it's cancer. So you can never say, well, it's curable and... and Forget the fact that it's still cancer. So our thoughts and our prayers go out to Craig Sager. And I just wanted to mention this because as someone who is starting out his career, and I hope it's a career, I hope I get to do this, not just from my guest room for the rest of my life, and I hope I get people to listen to me. But you got to look at Craig Sager as, and this word gets thrown out all the time. In fact, I used it earlier in this little show, Graham, as a pioneer. Yes, pioneer. Pioneering what, you may ask. Well, let's think about this for a minute. He may not have been the most handsome. He certainly may not have been the best dressed. He may not have been the most charismatic. But he endures, folks. He endures. That is the magic of Craig Sager. He endures an industry that has great changeover. He endures an industry that gets younger and younger and more and more beautiful. He's on TV. And he gets to be true to himself and yet still endures. And that's hard to come by. That's hard to find these days. He has a, he's smart, he's confident, and he's refreshingly real. 
There's really nothing plastic about Craig Sager. I mean, look at the outfits he wears. Do you think others get away with that? And I'm not, believe me, I'm not bashing the television sports industry at all. But it's hard to be that honest. It's hard to be that real when people are telling you how they want to package you and what they think you ought to look like and how they think you ought to act. But he endures, and that's what makes him great. He adapts all these years. How many decades now? I mean, he's been in the business for over 40 years, five decades, basketball, baseball, NBC, TNT. He's done the Olympics. He's been everywhere. He's seen it all, it seems like, and he's still around and still doing a great job. And I hope he continues to do a great job. So the man is someone to look up to, as someone who's real, keeps it real. Gosh, don't I sound terribly lame when I say the phrase keeps it real. But he's true to himself. He adapts to the changing times and the changing network demands and the different networks he's worked for, and he still is true to himself. So I hope he returns to finish the season. I hope he gets better real soon. And above all else, I hope he endures. Well, that was 33-plus minutes of pure gold, I hope. That was the first, and hopefully not the only, Bitterness and Rage show. I certainly hope you enjoyed it. I don't know if it'll be this long in the future, maybe shorter, maybe longer, who knows. But remember, folks, at Bitter and Rage, at Bitter and Rage, that's the place to find me, I guess, and leave your comments, criticisms, hopes, dreams, analysis, hate mail, whatever it is. Because the next time I yak at you, I might include some things that you're interested in. Maybe, again, field your questions, do a little research for you, who knows. I hope you found it entertaining. It certainly was nerve-wracking for me, but now that it's over with, I can sit back and say, hey, I'd like to do this again sometime. So thanks for joining me. Thanks for bringing me into your lives, into your homes. And um, I'm going to close out with a little music for you. And thank you, everybody. Happy Easter. Happy Sunday. And I'll see you.